You're listening to the Mentors for Military podcast with your hosts, Robert Gowan, Rudy Lindsay, Mike Pritz, and Kat Kalin. Mike, it's good to have you back, brother. Jeez, I don't think it's been a, it's been a long time since actually at least three of us have been on it together. I know I did the, the one show last week, but it seems like it's still been forever. Yeah, it does. Are you still in uh, California? No, no, I, I got back on the on the 30th of May and I started school on the 1st of June. And um, I've only come up for air a couple times. That's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> it's getting better. The, the first class they put us into is a uh, advanced research methods. And the the paper I wrote that, again, thanks for reviewing that paper for me, Robert. Yeah, it, no worries. That paper that I wrote sets the tone for the next 13 months. So that that paper and that, that literature review really sets my research up for, for the fall. So, and that still isn't graded. We'll see what they what they come back with. But, uh, you know, there are 14 of us in the class, and I think every one of us was pulling our hair out. We didn't start writing that paper until a week before it was due. They, they kind of, you know, it's a three-and-a-half-week class, and they would give you just a, a little bit every day. And um, we started doing the research early on just to find articles and stuff. But there's so much stuff out there you got to digest before you can put, you know, 20 pages together. And I felt like I was plagiarizing the whole thing because you're just really restating what other people have said so that you can state your research question. Man, it was frustrating for me, a different kind of writing. I've never had to write that way. But we, I mean, we got it all in. We just, none of us have gotten any feedback on it yet. So we'll see if they, if they let these things go or if we got to rewrite them. Well, so I'm going to do a research project on um, how to influence student engagement in a high school classroom using inquiry-based teaching methods as opposed to lecture and rote memorization for a history class. So we'll, we'll see how that goes at the school and we'll see how it goes with the research project. I think it'll be okay. It was like a really deep paper, I'll be honest with you. When I was reviewing that thing, it was taking me back to a period way, way long ago. I mean, and I'm reading this thing and I'm thinking, oh my God, you know, Mike, you like really, this was deep. I mean, it was like very cerebral in, in terms of the writing style, the, the, the approach, you know, the research, obviously, that you did on God, I'm it. I'm not a cerebral guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying that, but it certainly... It was pretty fascinating. It was hard, man. See how it works out. If it, if it, if I can use that one special method where the the kids all get beeped and then they they fill out that form I'm developing, I, I'll have a lot of data that I've got to figure out how to use. Yeah, it was really deep. Oh my god, man! Reading that thing, it was so far over my head, Mike. I mean, I was reading this thing and it was like, wow. I mean, this is like seriously deep. That's- Honestly, That's how I felt the whole time I was putting it together way over my head. Okay, you just came back from a trip. Yeah, I went to, we went over to Kansas and well, we drove there and visited Kyle's family and it was exhausting and it wasn't like vacation. <laughs> I don't know, anywhere you it go. It never is kids, when you're driving. It never is. Uh, with kids, it's terrible too. I mean, and they just fight, fight constantly and I, the, the whole like, don't make me pull this car over. It was like probably said 20 times. <laughs> the car. Oh, and it just, it just kind of, there's so, we have so many projects going on at the house too. And this is the only time that Kyle's on leave. So, but we got back what Friday or Saturday, Friday evening. And we just, it's like, we came back to like all of our projects. This is never ending, but it was good to see family and and the girls had a good time. So you guys have just, major plans today? This morning, I actually, 
and I'm not a morning person at all. Like I hate mornings. Yes, Kyle, like we had to get up early to leave for the trip. And I'm one of those like five more minutes, five more minutes until he had to like pull the blankets off and tell me to get out of bed. But this morning I actually got up and I rucked 10 miles. Whoa. <laughs> awesome. Wow. Yeah. Cause you know, I feel embarrassed now. <laughs> well, no, honestly, Mike, like you motivate me because you're like, yeah, I get up and I do all this stuff in the morning. And I always think like whenever I sleep in or if it's late and I get up, I'm like, and Mike's probably already up, like doing like five different things. <laughs> I tell you, I, I, my right knee swelled up like a great big basketball earlier last week. And I don't know what happened to it. I didn't hit it on anything. I didn't fall down. I did a couple of runs early in the week and a kettlebell workout. And it had me with my right knee elevated and iced for about three days. It really put me back. Ouch. Well, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you too, because I'm not, I, I don't enjoy running just because of my back and I, everything gets compacted so bad. But now that I'm doing this, like rucking, and Kyle kind of has me on a like a plan just to put the miles in. He's like, that's all you need to worry about is putting miles in, and you don't need to ruck or do that every day. It's just you know. But one of the things I noticed just this morning was like how swollen my hands got. Well, that's because you have a rucksack on and you have straps going across your your shoulders and it. It reduces blood flow to your arms. When I worked out at oh. the Q course, they called that rucksack palsy. And I don't know, I don't know if it's a technical term, but Doc Keaton, who used to run the TMC at Camp McCall, that's what he called it, rucksack palsy. People would come in with their fingers all swollen up. You take the rucksack off and it, blood flow re returns to your hands and it, it kind of all comes back. Well, I was walking around out there with like my hands over my head just because it helped. And I'd have to, you know, they say... Well, Robert, when you were had that interview with Rock to Recovery and they said, you know, like, oh, make sure she doesn't run or anything. I'm like, I, I felt like I had to run because my legs just felt so heavy just going, you know, like walking that long. And so I ran a little bit, too. But, man, I was like walking down the street at like six in the morning with my hands above my head. Someone probably thought I was crazy. Man, my hands I hope, got so I hope there's a video. No, no, but I hope there's not a video. I'm like, I think probably like on Google Earth, you know, the aliens are out there watching us. So. Well, that's cool, though, because you're going to be doing the yomp. Mike, I didn't know if you were aware of that. What's the yomp? I don't know. I don't know anything about it. So, Kat, tell him about it. Okay. So, Robin was on. I just talked to him briefly, and we had the gals from Rock to Recovery, which is a UK a group of civilians who just they just support their vets, and they like they put these what these events together. They're Team 42. Uh, to raise funds. Team 42, and Robin's from Rock to Recovery. Oh, Rock to Recovery, and they're Team 42. That's right. right. So. Right. In the UK, they have this yomp, and um, it's 103 miles, and it's supposed to it's for the UK, and they support their Royal Marines, but they rarely have Americans go out and, you know, support the UK as well as uh, showing support for the US. And what they what do you say? Like they had maybe 15 women this last Memorial Day go, and only about five of them completed it. Something they, like that, they, yeah. Yeah, and I think you said like only one American woman has completed the entire thing. And I'm like, man, this is, you know, a great opportunity to show American support, but, you know, just to represent America and as a female veteran, like I, the whole, the whole experience is probably just like super badass. And then on top of that, like it kind of motivates me to, to get to, you know, a hundred miles is a very long way, <laughs> but to do all these different like ruck to recovery or different rucks and close by for training and i'm trying to schedule out a bunch of long ones throughout the year so i don't burn myself out but that's a goal for right now that i'm, I'm working what, on it's what is what is the event cat when is it it's uh next memorial weekend and is it virtual or are you going to the uk to participate in it i'm gonna go to the uk that's yeah. awesome 
Yeah, it's gonna and see, and I remember you were talking about like that big event in Colorado. I have no desire to do any running, like at all. But so, if I is if it I a rock walk, though? You don't have to run. No, it's it's you're supposed no, to walk. You're supposed yeah, to, to yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll send you the link to it, Mike. It's pretty amazing what these folks do and raising I've awareness it, and such. I've got it pulled up on Wikipedia. Okay. And it, it talks about the uh, the long movement they did in the Falkland War. Right. Which I which I remembered studying a long time ago. As a matter of fact, I remember an old company commander of mine standing uh, up on the something at Sicily Drop Zone talking about this before we did a crazy pace force march back to to the divisionary when I was in 82nd, when I was really young. But it, I mean, it's YOP stands for your own marching pace. So it sounds like you ruck and you'll just keep your own pace for the entire event. As long as you don't quit, you finish, right? Right. Yeah. That's what, and that's what they said. They normally like groups will start out together, but you want to go at your own pace because if you're going at someone else's or someone's faster than you can like wears on you more, you know? So for me, it's like, it's opened up a whole lot just to like get into the whole working on distance rather than pace and time. So just throughout my research and stuff, like a, a bunch of rucks that the uh, different nonprofits and other veteran organizations that put on, I mean, it's incredible how many are out there. So not only like doing this to represent the U S but going and experiencing all these other, like, like the baton death March, I plan on participating in that to do just as part of my training and, you know, a milestone, I guess you could say, but to just do all those experiences. So, I mean, I'm excited other than my hand swelling. <laughs> but I, I think you can mitigate that too with your, uh, I mean, different straps for your ruck. I, mean, I don't know how much weight you're going to carry or you're going to want to carry. But, I'm just uh, carrying you... a camelback. Like my plan is just to carry a camelback, some extra socks, maybe some moleskin, a tissue for when I'm crying. Of pain. When you're weeping, <laughs> when you're weeping <laughs> along the route. No. I've never done anything that long. I mean, I've never done an ultra or anything like that. I mean, that's what you're talking about. Something, I, I, I'll just, one piece of advice, and if you ever listen in part of your training to maybe Trail Runner Nation podcast or something, these guys talk a lot about more than training and, and, and preparing yourself, nutrition. So, you know, when you run a marathon or something, you're really about training for your pace and, and training your body to do a marathon. But when you're doing anything longer than 26 miles, you're really your body. It's a it's an event on how well you can feed your body. So uh, you've got to feed yourself over 103 miles, cat. You're going to feed yourself quite a bit, and um, right. and you're going to have to control that and practice with different kinds of food, because a lot of people get really bad gastro distress when they eat and they're working out. So you've got to figure out what kind of food you can eat uh, while you're while you're going over that distance. Some people can't eat anything and they go to these liquids. Uh, that are fortified with protein and different thing and things and and it'll help you. And if you, I mean, some, something else to look up is a uh, Marshall Ulrich, who is a guy that's run Badwater more times than anybody. Uh, he did a movie and a book called Running Across America a few years back. If you look at what he did, I mean, this guy ran every day. I think he ran the equivalent of about two marathons a day, uh, with a couple of breaks in there because he was hurting. But he he would drink all of his protein and everything and through like chocolate milk and stuff. Right. So you gotta, you just gotta practice with different kind of foods so you don't get sick. Well, because that's, I'm, I'm really bad about it. When I'm, when I'm running, I would eat and anything beyond ten or twelve miles, I'd try to eat a little bit, and so many things just make you sick, and you gotta stop and practice with that food. Yeah, right now I'm changing. Um, I'm trying to clean up my diet a lot and stay more. I don't, I don't want to say like 
organic, but a lot more like fruits and vegetables. Just, and then I, I got that like uh, protein, just like a really pure uh, whey protein that I've added to my diet because I know that I don't get enough protein as it is. But yeah, I think that's probably what's going to work best is that, like you said, that liquid, having the, the liquid with everything that you need in it and then training with it. Uh, so when you're out there, you're just like, everything just falls apart at once. Just terrible. look up some of the different, I mean, some of the different running magazines will have these guys that are crazy ultra marathon runners and the way that they eat, or even Ironman, an Ironman triathlete, they've got to fuel themselves throughout the race and they, they don't eat what you think. A lot of times, particularly I've got a good buddy of mine who's an ultra marathon runner. This guy eats Swedish fish, those little red candies. Yeah. That's one thing that his stomach can take and he eats them at every one of the aid stations. He'll just, and it's sugar and a little bit of sugar keeps him going. Most of the things you'll find on events like that is they're really high in sugar or carbohydrate. They'll have whole potatoes. They'll have peanut butter and jelly and all that stuff just upsets my stomach. I, I'm yeah. one of those guys. I, I know exactly what I can eat and what I can't eat. Most of the time, it's just uh, some kind of a fortified drink that I try to take in a little bit with water. But you have to practice with it and see. I, I, I did a 101-mile event with the Green Brave Foundation. I think it was it was before I went to Lebanon, so maybe four years ago. And uh, it was called the Run for One Million, and it wasn't in one day, but they had uh, the events that you had to complete, either run, walk, or ruck, uh, were a one-miler, a 5K, a 10K, a half marathon, a full marathon, and a 50-miler. And it came out to, the, the all comes out to 101 miles, and all the money went to support programs for the Green Bray Foundation. But again, it was over a few days that I was able to do that distance, and I didn't have the same problem with... Uh, with nutrition is what you're going to have trying to do it over one, one 24 hour period. Well, no, it's uh, it's actually, I think two and a half days or something like that. Isn't it can't. Oh, so you yeah, can break it uh, up. Yeah. Well, no, no, it's, it's straight through, but the team fortitude, they said that what like they, I don't know if they, they knew someone that did it, but it took them around like 36 hours to complete. So it's straight, it's straight through sucking. <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm is definitely going to have supported? to. Is it, is eight, it what? Eight stations? Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. The whole thing is, um, I sent you the link a, there, Mike. It's uh, okay. 1664.com, and that's the beginning of when the Royal Marines were founded. And so you're actually doing 166.4 kilometers. And that was one of the concerns, too, that one of the gals had said was with the whole, you know, there was a, a lady out there with her a friend or whomever it was a guy and his pace was a lot faster and he actually had to go ahead, but she was concerned about, you know, being out there by herself. And the whole thing is just uh, monitored. They have people out there from start to finish. And what's kind of cool too, is at the end, I think it's like what the last 10 miles people can actually jump on and finish the walk, the yomp with you. So, and I I guess that's like the last 30 to, well, yeah, your last 30 miles is like the most difficult. Maybe we can all go over there and, Yomp with her the last bit. And I'm looking at this side. This would be a lot of fun to do. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'll still be getting beat up in school. Your brain is going to be going a hundred miles. My brain's already gone. Yeah. I'm in survival mode, man. So congratulations, Cad, on your Miss Veteran 2016 top Top 25 25 already. We know that's fantastic, Cat. Yeah, I was really, I was really uh, worried. I guess you could say. I mean, other than, I mean, I was lucky because of. All my sponsorships so far, or not sponsorships, but fundraising has been just word of mouth and family and friends. I haven't been able to put on a big event yet. I had one planned, but we were fundraising was cut off. So that kind of went down the toilet. But now that 
I made the top 25, I can go ahead with that again. Yeah, it was, I had the, I had to do the virtual audition because I couldn't make it up to Arlington for the East Coast regional audition. And so it was just a phone call and then you had to submit your talent through YouTube. Did you do <laughs> preaching? I, no, that would have been a good one, but no. <laughs> I, don't, I didn't have my, my stack with me. I had this one talent, which was completely not me. I'm not very theatrical or anything like that. But I'm like, oh, this will be funny. I should, I should try that. And I had everything planned. We were going to do it in Kansas. I brought all of my stuff with me. So not only did I have myself, Kyle's, all the girls, luggage, and then all of them. But I had a bunch of other things like props and stuff for this skit thing that I was going to do. But the night before we got to Kansas, I like had this anxiety attack. Like I can't do that. It's stressing me out so bad. But so I was really thinking, I'm like, man, you know, talent, like what am I really talented at? And I couldn't think of it. But then all of a sudden I'm like, Oh my gosh, Kyle and I are, we are like survival experts. Like I need to do like a survival thing. So my talent, which I I was, I'm actually pretty pleased with it. And it had to be under three minutes. I, I did an instructional video on how to start a fire in two minutes or less. Cool. So I'm hoping that that's what pushed me, <laughs> pushed me through because now people can start fires in, in less than two minutes. But it was, it was fun. You your own Discovery Channel show pretty soon. Yeah. yeah. I got a little stage fright, though. Oh, man. I wish I could put the outtakes on there because I had it. You know, we had rehearsed it a few times, and then we finally video videotaped it. And I'd miss a part, and I would, <laughs> then it would go into just – it would go from rated PG to rated R instantly. <laughs> like – Vulgar language all over the place. And you have Kyle the, in the background. The human just side, breathe, I think. Just breathe. <laughs> like, yeah, just breathe. I'm trying to start a fire. But no, it was, I'm really, I'm stoked about that. I know the, now it's like it's really going to pick up because we pretty much all start from ground zero again with fundraising and awareness. And now there's a lot more involved with uh, charities and, or not, well, the charity, but um, just community service and stuff like that. So, no, yeah, no, I'm really, I'm excited. I'm not too thrilled about having to buy, well, wear a gown, <laughs> but that's part of it. So, but yeah, I just, thanks for the support and helping me out and all that. So, but that, yeah, other than walking all over Alabama, <laughs> getting ready for that. So, well, it's kind of cool though. There's, I think, five or six female veterans that follow us on Twitter that are also part of that top 25. So being able to watch each of you kind of evolve through this whole process has been really interesting. I'm bummed out that I wasn't able to go to regionals because I wasn't able to meet any of the ladies that, that audition. I mean, it's just, it's cool that they they have this event for networking and, and female veterans can come together and just, you know, just talk and mingle with one another and it's like you wish that there were more events out there for vets so it wouldn't have to be i mean not just a competition but just like hey we're gonna have a some sort of event for all female veterans or male veterans or anybody can come and hang out so so what's the um, next steps then right now we're waiting um for i guess further instruction from the denise gordon who is was the very first miss veteran america she's actually the coordinator uh right now and she, the last thing she said was, don't make the announcement until you see it on Facebook or Twitter, which we see it out there. But right now, she, for further instruction, a lot of it is just more, um, I'm assuming, more more of the fundraising and just more charity work in the community. And as far, that's that's all I know for now. But I'm sure you'll see a lot more 
instruction or events going on, especially on my Twitter and Facebook page. Uh, once I find out as of right now, I, I'm not sure. (laughs) Where where are the finals being held? Uh, I think it's in, and last year it was in Las Vegas, but I think this year it's in DC. Oh, no kidding. That'd be cool. Yeah. I've never been there. I, you've never been to DC. Really? uh -uh. (laughs) No. I'm surprised by that. Really? Uh, Yeah. You think with, well, I'm just, I'm happy to go just by, just to see everything up there, but yeah. Yeah, I've never I'm trying been to figure anywhere. out a way to get back to D.C. for a retirement ceremony next month, and I just don't think I'm going to have the time. I love the town more than any place in the country. Really? I've, you know, I've heard good and bad things about it, but I guess that's anywhere. Well, so. I mean, the historical sites that are there, I mean, it, there's so much to see and do. It's all free, uh, and, and I, I just, I mean, I, I love the place. Yeah, that's what I, I'm looking forward to is going up there and, and seeing all that stuff. I know when I was in Kansas— we took the girls to the World War One Museum, mm-hmm. and that was pretty incredible. Talk about a different type of war than what we're doing today. But sure. just going to any of those places, historical places or anything that deals with, you know, past generations of veterans, it always, I get all emotional. I was like, stop it. Like, we can't take you anywhere. <laughs> I'm like, I know I just can't help it. But no, I'm really, I'm looking forward to seeing everything up there and Pretty moving, especially especially Arlington. It's, it's a very moving place for veterans to go and visit. Well, and they have the the women's museum up there too, and I know Ashley. She's in an exhibit up there, so I really I want to check that out. And yeah, that'd be great. And everything else up there. I, like I said, I've never been there, and I've always wanted to go. So this is this is kind of a great opportunity to do this as well as be able to see everything. So. I'm excited and nervous. I don't like, I'm not the type of person that likes to get on stage and do a bunch of fancy stuff. I know I can't start a fire in a building there, so I have to come up with another talent. But Breaching. I'm telling you, breaching. That's it. <laughs> you imagine? You, could all, you, no, could you all imagine? your daughters in the stack, you up front, breaching, and then that's, it'd be cute. It'd be cool. Done, done. done. <laughs> you know how many people would be like, that's child abuse. <laughs> <laughs> Preparation. Yeah. So I thought it'd be kind of cool to also talk about just today about the American Revolution and the fact that 240 years ago, we're now celebrating 240 years of independence and the significance of that, especially that our forefathers had intestinal fortitude to do something like this and to create the Declaration of Independence. I mean, you have to consider, too, that insurgencies aren't won in a short period of time. The population wins an insurgency, not not a military force. And it's difficult to get the population on board with with any type of movement. You gotta think that our founding fathers were radicals. They weren't they weren't the status quo. They weren't people who uh, were were comfortable. And a lot of them were successful, right? I mean they, they accepted a lot of risk to 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 stick their necks out and to say, hey, we want to separate from um from Britain and and become our own nation. And they didn't have a real good plan. At the outset, uh, we really didn't have a real good plan until several years later. Uh, but I, I think that you're right. I mean, it, it took a lot of vision. It took leadership. Um, but it took a lot of time to get the people on board. I mean, there were a lot of citizens who weren't. I mean, they actively worked against them. So I, I think that uh, I, I mean, it's a it's a it's a great topic for today. And I, I think it's a great topic when you look at it from today's perspective and fighting wars in both Iraq and Afghanistan. We've been doing so for years. And it's the type of war, type of fighter we're fighting against. 
And people often forget how long it took us to be successful. And, uh, and they think the military today should have just walked in and, and, the, and the war's over. I mean, we're the most powerful army in the world. Uh, but when you're dealing with an idea uh, that's different than what the status quo is, man, it's real hard to kill that idea as it starts taking, taking shape and getting popular support, which is exactly what we did in our own revolution. I mean, you're really trying right. to change the culture. You yeah, have to I change it. I think, too, like, with the population, you know, convincing them, like, they already have the fear that if you're wanting to establish, you know, a new set of boundaries and rules, especially then, like, the population probably feared another monarch, you know? So the fact that we're back over here or they're over here and we're wanting to create this new identity, you know, it's just like today, our government, you know, we're having people that are rallying against it as well as, you know, while people are trying to do better for it. So we're, it's like we're reliving it in today's society. Yeah. I, and I think as a leader, when you think back of the, the country founding fathers and leaders, and you're right, there were all different shapes and sizes and some were very radical in their thought process of how they were thinking about how this should be done and accomplished. I don't think it's very much unlike how it is today as well. And you're, and you're trying to, to take not just the military in a certain direction in order to accomplish the objectives of different wars that were going on uh, in this time frame, but you were also trying to rally the people and the citizens to be able to support the war effort and give up the money to be able to, to do that as well. Again, very similar to the types of things that we're dealing with today and trying to bring the awareness. And in the case of the American Revolution, there was a lot of wars that were actually in people's back doors. So it was a little different in that sense because they could see it, feel it, smell it around them. And today, I don't know that we're as much as engaged as to what's going on in the war in Afghanistan because it's not in our back door. It's not as televised. It's not televised the way that would make you more aware or make people conscious of what is actually occurring on a day-to-day -day basis of what our troops might be going through much different you know very different. Yeah, I, I think I mean initially after 9-11 I think I think there was a lot of coverage obviously probably too much coverage on what was going on in in Afghanistan and then Iraq a couple months later but I think uh I, I think you're right there are people who, who really don't know we've got men fighting in Iraq and uh, and and I, I'm sure they know we still have some some type of force in Afghanistan. But, you know, the wars were declared over you know, a few years ago. Everybody came home from Iraq. So I, I think that it's I mean, it's not on the news. You're right. It's not covered and it's not it's not in our backyards. So I, I think that there's a, a lot less uh, emphasis on it and everything that seems to happen here that's tied in any way to any terrorist organization is downplayed so much so that people don't think. That stuff is going on here in our backyards, and I and I think that's kind of uh, dangerous, you know. I mean, it, it's also a dangerous mentality to walk around thinking there's a threat around every corner, which there's not. But it's it's dangerous not to downplay. It's dangerous to downplay the 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 threats that are out there, and there are actually quite a few. And a lot of them don't have anything to do with Islamic extremism. They have to do with other types of uh, of threats within the country, and and most people like. Like they uh, they walk around and they don't know what's going on in Iraq and Afghanistan. They don't they don't really understand the types of threats that are happening in our own backyard. Our society nowadays is comfort is more important than clarity, and and I think that's what's frustrating to a lot of veterans and, and military families and and just the military in general. Uh, that population is that we we have 
lived and and breathed it and we come home and everyone is just so oblivious to what's going on and that's that's the thing like you just said mike it's like the threat is here it's happening you know american on american deaths destruction is going on in the country as well as like terrorist attacks with um this this whole radical islam epidemic that's going on but people will look at it like straight face and then just move on with their lives because it makes them uncomfortable. And that's what the problem is, is that people aren't getting out of their comfort level and, and realizing what's going on and trying to take action against it or understanding because it's not comfortable. And, and we're, and that's the problem is is that we are inclined to want to go towards comfort. That's why, you know, the veteran community, military community, we do tend to get more upset because, it's in our nature to go to where it is uncomfortable. So people just, I think, like you said, need to be more self-aware, more in tune with what's going on, because eventually something big, again, may happen, not just with Islamic terrorism, but something other, like American on American crime. And it's just, it's frustrating, but I think the best thing that we can do is just continue to educate and, and enlighten people on what's going on. I, I think, I think you're right. Um, Cat and I, I think uh, I'm going to make two quick points. One is that uh, you mentioned American on American. I, I mean, most of these attacks that we're going to see in America are going to be lone wolf, lone wolf attacks. I, there will probably be another large attack inside of America at some point in the future. It's just the nature of the world today. And, and I don't fault our federal law enforcement. I think they're doing a great job. I mean, they spoil a lot of these things that we never hear about. And then one happens, and it's usually a lone wolf style attack. But you know, if you if you have access to or if you read the Beak or Inspire, which are the, the two publications of the Islamic State and uh, the Taliban, this is exactly what the type of thing that they, they try to 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 get citizens in other countries to do, not just not just in America. But they, they used to have write ins. The questions were a lot. Hey, how can we join jihad? How can we be a, a contributor to what's going on worldwide? And the, the answers always come back is, you know, you don't need to move to the Middle East to be successful or to contribute in the jihad. You should wage jihad where you live. And um, and these are the same people that inspired the the Sarnovs who did the, the pressure cooker bombs at the Boston Marathon. Their connections to a lot of these people that have conducted uh, different terrorist acts in the United States to, the, to these publications. And they know that they're trying to reach out and inspire lone wolf type attacks. So I think those are a little bit easier to foil at times uh, because people will make mistakes in the research on how to do something. But at the same time, because you're dealing with one or two people, sometimes they slide underneath the radar. So there's a chance that, that it could happen. And it's important for people to be vigilant uh, about this type of activity in America, just like you would any type of criminal activity. I mean, you would, there are places that you tend to stay away from and and a way that you conduct your life that, that helps you live a little bit more secure. But I, and I, I think the second point, the bigger problem is, you know, one of the reasons we broke away uh, from Great Britain uh, and formed our own country is because our own liberties were being, you know, suppressed. And, and I, I think that we really stand a chance, and you listen to a lot of the popular talk on uh, politically, is, uh, is to suppress other people's liberties who are citizens of the United States because there is the potential for one of these lone wolf attacks to, to, to happen. And I think we really have to be careful when we start, you know, preaching that, that kind of, of uh, rhetoric. The, the, the principles that this country were founded upon were individual liberty and freedoms. And, and if we start 
really going down a road of, of jeopardizing that. And we've done that a little bit over the last 15 years anyway, haven't we? Uh, we just got to be really careful uh, that type of rhetoric that we whip up in our own citizens that, that we're going to start suppressing other people's uh, individual liberties. It's an excellent but, point. Man, this has gotten deep. That's not what we were going to talk about. <laughs> I think that it, when you start thinking about the purpose of this, you just highlighted it quite well, that we've got to th- go back to thinking what our forefathers, why they created this independence, this Declaration of Independence, I couldn't have said it any better than what you did well, right there. There's inherent risk associated with individual liberty. So we either choose to live in a free country with a little bit of risk, or we choose to live with a lot of regulation and, and no individual liberty. Uh, there's, there's an associated level of risk and security that, that is you know, acceptable and necessary. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and at Facebook by searching at Mentors, the number four M-I-L, and please subscribe to our podcast. It's free, and it ensures you're the first to hear our latest podcast show. We have several options depending upon your device, and we're at iTunes, SoundCloud, at Stitcher, and at TuneIn Radio.